and thank you for listening to this week's Dairy Dialogue podcast, wherever in the world you may be and whenever you're listening to this. It's now February and I checked out the National Days list for February just for fun. And apparently, and this may or may not be true, February the 6th in the US is National Yogurt Day. No mention of any specific flavours. And February the 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, is National Cheddar Day in the US. On the advice front, I'd still think chocolates is a little more traditional for a Valentine's Day gift rather than cheese. Having said that, in the US, Aldi supermarkets have a Valentine's Day cheese selection that includes a heart-shaped Wensleydale cheese with raspberries and white chocolate and a heart-shaped mature cheddar cheese. So clearly, what do I know? Also, February the 2nd is Eat Ice Cream for Breakfast Day. Probably not on toast and definitely not boiled egg-flavoured ice cream, although I suppose it may have been done. And you could probably have ice cream with pancakes for breakfast. And I can't say I've seen much advertising from ice cream companies based on that one. Anyway, moving right along, I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we have three interviews for you this week on the programme, with Arla Foods Ingredients on infant formula ingredients, a chat about the decision to take the World Cheese Awards to a country that knows a thing or two about cheese, and that's Italy, and a look at an award-winning packaging innovation from Australia. And we'll have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone. First this week is Arla Foods Ingredients, who recently announced a new whey protein-based concept for infant formula. Arla Foods Ingredients' new optimized comfort concept for infant formula contains alpha-lactalbumin, which is the most abundant protein in human milk. Due to its amino acid composition, alpha-lactalbumin is a protein that's a key ingredient in low-protein formulas with protein levels closer to human milk. The new concept also includes whey protein hydrolysates, which are protein that have been broken down by enzymes, effectively meaning they've been pre-digested. To tell us a little more about the concept is Lotta Neergord Jakobsen. We made it because we know that formula-fed infants, they often experience more gastrointestinal problems than breastfed infants. And we also know that infant formulas, they often contain significantly more protein than human milk. And protein is quite hard to digest for this little stomach. And that can lead to gastrointestinal discomfort in infants. And that can be colic and constipation and regurgitation and a lot of things that can result in excessive crying. So the concept is about ordering the amount of protein and also the type of protein in formula. And then it's possible to reduce these problems. So how long has this taken to develop? From the initiation to the final concept, it has taken approximately six to nine months. Would that be relatively quick or is that, is that average? Quite quick. It was quite a fast uh, moving concept. <laughs> it went smooth. <laughs> and what are the advantages to, to this concept over existing products? Yeah, because in, in this Arla Foods Ingredients new optimized comfort concept for infant formula, we will have a renewed focus on infant comfort. And the concept contains both alpha-lactalbumin and whey protein hydrolysates. So we have um, created this concept to showcase potential optimized comfort applications with a low protein content. We have in the concept we have two ingredients. We have the alpha lactalbumin, and the alpha lactalbumin is protein that is very abundant in, in human milk. 
25% of all proteins in human milk is alpha-lact albumin, and it is known that it's easily digestible. Furthermore, we have a whey protein hydrolysate in our concept, partially hydrolyzed whey protein, which is a mixture of small and larger peptides. So our hydrolysates has been broken down by enzymes, and that means that it's pre-digested already. How do you get this concept out to companies that might be interested in it? We have sent out this press release and we also have some information on our webpage. So if you're interested, you can click into our webpage and, and read more about the concept and our ingredients involved in this concept. And has there been interest in it so far? Uh, yes, a lot of interest. In the past few years, the World Cheese Awards have visited San Sebastian in Spain's Basque region and Bergen in Norway. And in 2019, the awards are heading to a country that makes a lot of different cheeses, Italy. The awards will coincide with an existing cheese festival in the beautiful northern city of Bergamo. The World Cheese Awards are staged by the Guild of Fine Foods in the UK. And we chatted to the managing director of the Guild of Fine Foods, John Farrand, about the announcement. The reason behind the move, I think World Cheese Awards has, whatever, for whatever reason, has, has got into this groove over the last few years of attracting regions or countries um, who want the event. And, and that's been a sort of subtle shift. About six or seven years ago, we were alternating between London and overseas. And gradually the want for it overseas has increased and therefore now we seem to have a bit of a queue of countries who are keen to host the event. Why Italy in particular? I quite like going to new places. They, as, as I said, we've got a, a few in the queue, but Italy sort of put the strongest kind of case forward. We've never taken the World Cheese Wars to Italy and I quite like partnering with some sort of existing event and in Bergamo there is an event called Forme and that has been running for four or five years and is really a grown-up cheese festival in the beautiful old town and I think that the combination of the credibility of that event and how it looked and the fact that we hadn't been to Italy before really sort of clinched it. Sure, and Italy does have a very good cheese heritage. Oh, of course, and actually the Lombardy region where we are has the most PDO cheeses in Italy, and as you will appreciate, Italy has a lot of PDO cheeses anyway, but Lombardy has the most in Italy, so yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that, that region has, has a, a real cheese thing going on. And it's interesting because I find outside of the big cheeses, and in that I include sort of Parmigiano, Reggiano, and Grana Padano, and there's a lot of Italian cheeses that perhaps we haven't heard of, um, even within the trade. And um, I was happy to be educated about a few Italian cheeses I didn't really know much about, vaguely heard the name of. And I think that's fun for the fanfare that, that sort of World Cheese Awards brings, not just the judges, but other people doing business or just coming for fun who, who come to the World Cheese Awards. It'd be good for them to perhaps discover a few more less obvious Italian cheeses. You mentioned you have a queue of 
countries and places looking to mm. bring the cheese awards in do you try and partner it with another event that's ongoing at the time or is that really your secondary consideration we've done all sorts to be honest with you jim you know we kind of whatever 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 works uh in the end i i need assurances from the region or the country that they're going to help me get cheese into the country which i know sounds a bit operational and a bit boring but the cheese awards doesn't happen unless we can successfully navigate customs and the food police and that that is hard and and i like some assurance that that, that i'm going to get some help in that respect we cracked it years ago in this country and in, in terms of, of getting help from defra and the animal health organizations so that's important we we, we partner it with events sometimes this year we are last year the Norwegians kind of built an event around World Cheese Awards. So they secured World Cheese Awards. We took it there, and they sort of had an enormous farmer's market, which was extolling the virtues of, of Norwegian food generally, not, not just cheese. There is no formula, and I kind of like that, because <laughs> it keeps it fresh, keeps it interesting. And if I'm seen to be taking sort of important cheese folk from across the planet, to a new place to go and discover things, then I think I've done my job. Do you envisage it ever heading outside of Europe? It's a very, very good question. And we are already talking to Japan. Whether we can pull that off is another thing. <laughs> um, the thought of moving 30 tonnes of cheese by air from Europe to Japan fills me with horror, both from a, a money point of view and a logistics point of view. But I'd like to do it one day. I, I, I do worry that there comes a point where you put staging the cheese and the condition of the cheese at a disbenefit by it being so far away. Uh, I, I do worry about that. I mean, the reason to go there is, as you'll probably be aware, the burgeoning interest in, in artisan cheese in Japan is, is huge at the moment. And I've got sort of three different organizations who are interested in bringing the World Cheese Awards to Japan. Um, but they're also trying to get Japanese cheese into not just the World Cheese Awards, to be honest with you, but other cheese awards in Europe. And uh, at the moment, the EU will not allow the import of Japanese cheese, um, even for professional testing, assessment, judging, call it what you will, and let alone for commercial sale. So that's a bit of a challenge. But uh, yeah, I mean, it would be good to go outside of Europe, but I need to make sure that the competition and, and the quality of the cheese is not uh, affected. Has taking the event out on the road changed the event itself? I think it's in the last 10 years. I mean, we went to the Canaries in 2009, which is, was our first foray outside of the UK and Ireland. And I think in that sort of nine, that nine years, 10 years, yeah, the event's changed hugely. I think it's, it's become more eclectic. There's obviously more countries involved. I think what we do differently is we've all, we established the World Cheese Awards to try and raise the profile of little cheesemakers. We were all too aware in the 80s that the little people were being forgotten or the little people weren't even there because they were going out of business or the big cheesemakers were, were winning through. And it's quite hard to encourage small cheesemakers to enter something that is perceived as so big but we make it as easy as possible. So we've got consolidation points in Australia and in South Africa, in South America. 
Canada, USA, um, as well as obviously in Europe. And, and so we try and make it at its simplest cheaper for small cheese makers to deliver more locally. And then we take on the cost of freighting them into wherever we're judging. And I think we've maintained that. And I think that's the difference is that you still see these small cheesemakers sort of grabbing awards. And I think that's a good thing. How do you think it's changed over the years, the event? Obviously, it's got bigger, but have there been any other changes, milestones? I think we've, we've, we've got more folk from all over the world judging. People are coming to the World Cheese Awards to do business, actually, in, some, in, a, in a rather small way. Um, I like to think that cheese is sold and friendships are formed, whether it's personally or business, um, which is a good thing. It's grown from, I think, 10 years ago, we probably had about less than 1,000 cheeses, eight or 900 cheeses, and now we're sort of attracting 3,500 cheeses. That's obviously a major, major change. The whole thing is, is more of a two- or three-day event now when we were judging at, at the London Food Exhibition, and uh, as was um, now the IFE. It was something that was done in the morning. We just about, I think, sometimes had a judge's lunch, but now it's it's because of where we are, you know, we're around Europe, it's become a two or three day thing, which means that you have the great and the good of the dairy industry in, in one city for two or three days. And that, that's a positive. Speaking of the cheeses themselves, are producers starting to innovate specifically for the awards? I'm not sure they're particularly innovating for the awards. I think that we attract innovative cheesemakers and, and that there, there is a difference there. They feel that their cheese is more likely to be recognized and appreciated and perhaps given a fair hearing, not necessarily win an award at the World Cheese Awards than perhaps some other awards where they're more traditional, shall we say, uh, and therefore the more maverick cheesemakers and their cheeses perhaps aren't um, looked at in the same light. And I think we've got a reputation for that. The classic of two or three years ago being a, a cheese from Australia that was sort of, uh, the rind was covered in edible ants. But because of the nature of our judging panel, it being international, it actually bothering to have a mix of gender and age. You're, you've got more chance and not being sort of disregarded out of hand before even really being tasted. You mentioned the ant cheese. Have there been any other interesting cheeses that you've encountered, unusual ones? Um, last few years, we've worked hard on South Africa. I mean, actually, I think we worked hard with Defra to get the cheeses accepted, and we had one blip where they weren't allowed in. But they always produce some fantastic cheeses. And, and whilst I am obviously an advocate of of taste and flavor and length of flavor and balance. They are a work of art, these cheeses. The rind is often painted with, sort of, obviously, with edible or safe materials, but they are beautiful and they're incredibly eye-catching. I like seeing innovative milks, um, amazing buffalo blue cheese from Italy that I think in the last five years has, has reached the final 16 cheeses at least three or four times. That's incredibly interesting but for me I, I, I yes I see these cheeses but unfortunately as the organizer I rarely get to taste them or appreciate them and sadly if I'm brutally honest they are codes to me <laughs> because handling three and a half thousand cheeses and the logistics of moving them around they we, we don't get as romantic as knowing what they're called they are merely a code <laughs> 
Next, it's over to Australia to talk to Peter Burke about his Lactote and Polatote packaging innovations, which recently won some awards. And first, we'll hear a little about the company and its products. Thanks, Jim. Lactote Proprietary Limited is the name of our company, and we're located in Melbourne, Australia. We offer extensive experience in the design of flexible plastic packaging, particularly with regards shrink films and stretch films. Regarding winning a 2019 Packaging Award, the World Packaging Organisation is a global body consisting of many packaging experts from many different countries around the world. At each year, they hold a competition to judge the most innovative new packaging designs for that particular year. There are a number of consumer packaging categories that any and all companies can enter, including the following three, beverage section, food section, and electronics. In this instance, our Polar Tote concept won a 2019 Global Award in the beverage section. And this is very important as beverages sell in such gigantic volumes around the world. So any new ecologically friendly, consumer friendly innovations are constantly being sought, particularly those that relate to recycling. To be eligible to enter the global competition, companies have to win an award for their innovation in their local country, ours being Australia, which allows, in our case, for polar choke to be judged on a global basis to see whether it has appeal and relevance on a global scale. And yes, uh, Polartope was considered innovative enough to win a beverage award. For Lactote, the company to win a World Packaging Award is indeed a very prestigious achievement of which we are very proud. Our Polartote concept, which is patented in Australia and awaiting examination around the world, is based on improving and replacing the current existing forms of beverage shrink packaging, plastic packaging, used around the world for multi-packs of all types of beverages, beers, wines, juices, water, milk and so on. Most of the currently existing forms of shrink film multi-packs are available in the global market, are very hard to open, requiring a sharp blade of some sort to cut the plastic, and this presents a cutting injury danger to the consumer. Secondly, the current style of shrink pack does not hold ice or act as a cooler for the beverages. And thirdly, the empty bottle metal caps and other packaging cannot be placed back into the current shrink packs to enable 100% of the packaging to be returned for recycling. So this led us to develop the Polartote concept, which does offer the consumer an easy carrying shrink film multi-pack with a handle that you can take the Polartote pack anywhere at any time. The packs can be in multiples of four bottles, up to 12 bottle combinations. The Polartote pack is also very easy to open. Just tear along the seal line on the side of the pack to access the beverages. 
The next important feature of the Polar Tote Pack is that the heavy duty base acts just like an ice bucket. It holds ice and keeps the drinks nice and cool, just like an emergency fridge. It can also contain warm water for anything that you do want to warm up, if that is also desired. Finally, and most importantly, when the drinks are consumed, you can place the empty bottles together with the lids, they can be plastic or metal, and any other packaging, back into the Polar Tote pack to enable the placement of all of the packaging into a recycling bin. This feature is especially important as it has been designed to stop the high rates of litter which the current style of shrink packs encourage. Because you can't remove the current shrink film easily and you can with Polar Tote, it means that you get your packaging recycled far more readily. How do you take the Lactote and Polar Tote projects into the global market? That's the exciting part, Jim, uh, for us in particular, uh, because we envisage either selling the patented technology or partnering in some way with a major industry player who has the same desires as Lactote to improve food safety and the methods for recycling the packaging. To be committed to that aspect of um, the packaging cycle uh, is so important. And as we are located in Australia, which is quite a long way from the global market, uh, we look forward to discussing this particular subject with any of the large uh, major companies who are interested in the same sorts of outcomes as ourselves. That is safety, health and the methods of ensuring recyclability. How easily could manufacturers incorporate your technology into their own processes? Jim, uh, the Polytote and uh, Lactote processes are basically quite different to the uh, big, fast, uh, wraparound type machines. They are made-to-order bespoke machines which have a small floor space and you can install two or three units to do the same job as one large machine. This gives you all sorts of flexibility in having one machine shut down while you're reser- if you're servicing it uh, to- and still having the other one or two machines uh, operating. And as I say, the Lactote and the uh, Polartote machines are much uh, lower capital cost than the big machines that are out there at the moment. So to answer your question, really it's a matter of re-equipping with the new uh, bespoke Polartote and Lactote machines. What has reaction been like to the product and where does the company go from here? When we uh, entered uh, Polartote in the Australian PIDA Awards uh, in 2018, We were not sure what to expect. Uh, This is our first packaging competition and uh, it's all new to us. We were just uh, uh, getting uh, the innovation out to the public uh, to see whether it was of interest. And in the case of Polar Tote, the uh, ice container aspect uh, 
is new and unique. And uh, secondly, the recycling aspect, that is that you can put the bottles and all the packaging back into the Polar Tote Pack. Well, we thought that would be of very much interest to the recycle the people out there who want to recycle. At the moment, with uh, most uh, shrink packs, you either cut or tear the uh, shrink film off, and then the shrink film either ends up as uh, uh, litter or um, being um, blowing around the dump. It's no use in any other respects because it can't be recycled because uh, it's too small a piece. You just can't effectively uh, recycle the stuff. Plus, um, when we uh, entered the uh, competition, we weren't expecting to win the Beverage Award uh, and we were also keen to see whether other people, judges included, saw the uniqueness of what we were trying to do, offering an off-the-shelf cooler, something uh, that is a bit of a first. We would expect the the adoption of Polar Tote to be... Um, Well, of interest to most companies because it truly differentiates the company's product when it sits on the shelf. You can print the Polar Tote Pack. You can print the Lactote Pack. It is there to be uh, promoted uh, in the marketing aspect very nicely and it does truly differentiate a product on the shelf if you can, in fact, add ice to it, and it acts like an ice box, ice cooler. Winning um, the World Packaging, the World Star Packaging Award uh, for 2019 has been a, a dream come true, really, for Lactote. I mean, it's uh, uh, very much a new area for us, but we were uh, very uh, convinced that uh, we need to do something as an industry, that is a packaging industry, to improve our packaging and not just continue to supply the same old, same old. Uh, Things that don't recycle easily, that aren't consumer-friendly. And that's where we have tried to address this fire, in this case here, us entering the World Packaging Awards. And um, we're very grateful uh, that we have uh, been seen to have offered a unique and uh, very interesting uh, product system that uh, should really be of interest to any producer, any beverage producer uh, that wants to differentiate their product around the world. What we would recommend is that if you uh, want to see any more detail on any of these products, please go to our website and have a quick look and contact us and uh, we'll give you any information that you require. Our uh, website is www.lactote.com. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy market with INTLFC Stone's head of EU dairy, Charlie Highland. Okay, so the dairy market's a little bit weaker uh, again this week. The main kind of news driving that was uh, some increased volumes being offered on the uh, the global dairy trade auction in New Zealand, um, where Fonterra announced that they would be adding an additional 10,000 tonnes over the next 12 months on, on both whole milk and skim milk powder. 
So that's that's quite a, a negative signal to the market means that there's more availability of products. So as a result, both the New Zealand market started trading down a bit lower on the back of it, and that's also had a, an effect of weakening the the prices in Europe. So uh, skim milk powder, for example, has traded down during the week, uh, starting at about uh, in, in quarter for quarter two at about 1975, and has been closing down lower at about 1900 over the last 24 hours. And similar kind of moves down we've also seen on butter as a, a general sentiment, you know, had an impact that, you know, milk production has been improving a little bit uh, in, in different parts of, of Europe and uh, people expecting a little bit more availability. And as a result, the, um, the butter prices have also traded down starting the week around the 45.75 level uh, in euros per ton terms and, and trading down as low as 4,500 by the end of the week. So in general, the mood was a bit negative, but at the same time, I think we have still continued to see good support here. So there's still plenty of, of buyers as it, is been, as it is trading a bit lower. You know, in general, um, expectations are, are not, you know, extremely negative from here. Just uh, all I would say the market has turned a bit neutral. That's great. Thanks a lot, Charlie. We'll catch up again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for this week. Next time, among other things, hopefully we'll be featuring an interview with Food Forward on its dairy data portal, and with PMMI and IDFA with a preview of ProFood Tech 2019, which takes place next month in Chicago. Thanks a lot for listening.